Welcome to a series of netcasts brought to you by Yale University. Hello, my name is Kelly Brownell. I'm the director of the Rudd Center for Food Policy and Obesity at Yale University. Today's guest is Dr. Lisa Powell, senior research scientist in the Institute for Health Research and Policy and research professor in the Department of Economics at the University of Illinois at Chicago, well known for her work on how economics can apply to health-related behaviors such as tobacco and obesity. Dr. Powell has done very important studies on a variety of topics. Today we're going to talk about the issue of food marketing. So Lisa, welcome. Thank you for having me. Now on the, the food marketing front, you're doing some very important research on this. Before we talk about that in particular, tell us why you believe it's an important topic. Certainly. Well, children uh, in the U.S. and uh, many parts of the world uh, watch significant uh, numbers of hours of television per day. And while doing so, obviously, they're sedentary while they're watching TV. They're often snacking on food while they're watching TV. Uh, and they're seeing food advertising so, um, on television. So it's sort of a, a triple whammy um, you could think of. And you know, one of the things that I'm particularly interested in is trying to isolate what is the effect of the food advertising that they see on TV, so um, on their weight outcomes. One, it could prompt them to be eating while they're watching TV, so they're immediately just making them hungry and wanting to snack on whatever's available perhaps in the home. And then obviously, um, in addition to that, it would affect their food preferences either directly if they're a teenager, they'll see an ad and they'll want to uh, go out and consume that item, or if they're a younger child and don't have a lot of their own direct purchasing power, uh, they will nag their parents uh, to purchase uh, certain items. And uh, many studies have shown that the nag effect uh, does does work, um, and it you know directly through what they may um, see uh, on television. So then the idea is, you know, can we actually isolate the effect of of food marketing? And so that's actually part of a new study that we're just starting. Uh, this month is to try to hold in constant the amount of time you watch TV, does additional amounts of TV viewing um, have an effect? Because other research that we've done has really shown that we found, for example, for 2 to 11-year-olds, 98% of the food ads that they see are for foods that are either high in sugar, fat, or sodium. So we know what's out there in the past, and there have been some recent changes, but we know what's traditionally been out there has basically been advertising for low-quality foods. So overall, there's a tremendous amount of the exposure of children to these messages, and almost everything is for unhealthy foods. So I know there's been a lot of concern lately, especially in the past 10 years or so, about forms of advertising that are occurring outside of television. Um, it, but television still is the, the number one source of exposure to advertising, am I right? Correct. It's the uh, largest single medium of advertising exposure for children and adolescents. So really nailing down the impact of this uh, is important. So um, it, it, is it true that we kind of know that the marketing is having a bad impact on children, and why do we need more detailed research on it? Well, I, okay, I, I think what, what we know is that... Um, Food advertising has an effect on um, uh, preference re requests to parents, uh, short-term preferences. What we haven't been able to isolate is the extent to which it translates into uh, changes in weight outcomes. There's been some research that has shown um, one study that's out there now that's just looked at fast food advertising, but it actually found that after you controlled for the amount of time the, uh, that you watch TV, the advertising itself was it still it had an effect, but it, you know statistical significance fell off. So um, I think we need more research. The problem herein is that get, is getting the, the data to to do this uh, is difficult. Uh, it's expensive. 
Um, so, uh, but there are a number of studies. Um, there's another study under, underway here by one, uh, your colleagues. Uh, we are starting some work on this. And so I think really trying to pinpoint the effect on, on to show there's an effect on weight um, will really help contribute, I, I think, to the policy debate. But what, what we do know is that the foods are, are poor quality uh, and, uh, and there's a substantial amount uh, that's that's out there, and even recently, um, with some changes with the introduction of some self-regulation, there hasn't been a. There have been some changes, um, but there has not been a, a tremendous reduction uh, in the quality of the food uh, that's being uh, uh, in increasing the quality of the food. And mainly, I think that's because uh, there have been um, uh, the regulations themselves have essentially um, applied to audiences under 12, and it's defined by the company. Um, the nutritional standards have been defined by the company, so they're not really in line with what is a, sort of a USDA um, official uh, guideline. So uh, um, you're referring to the self-regulatory pledges the industry has made that Correct. curtail marketing of unhealthy foods to children. And um, you're making the case then that I think is, is pretty much justified by the data that the industry sets lax standards for itself in two ways, the nutrient quality of the foods that it permits itself to advertise, and then also the way they define children's media. And so uh, I don't know what your own opinion on this. Do you, do you believe it's safe to say that self-regulation has not been an impressive effort by industry and that's an argument for government being more involved? Well, I think we, we've looked at um, some early data from 03 to 07, so to the end of 07, so some of the pledges were not in effect. But even among the pledges that were in effect, um, you know, for example, let me just give you one example. We've seen reductions in regular soda advertising, but we've seen substantial increases in diet soda. So essentially what you're getting is you're getting a brand name um, marketing so that the child may still see Diet Coke instead of Coke, but Coke still getting their name out there. So um, yes, there's no sugar in um, in Diet Coke. It still remains health, or you know, I don't want to necessarily pick on one company. There, it's happening across across the board, you know. But so other things that we've seen is that we may see a decrease in exposure among two to five year olds, but an increase in exposure among six to eleven year olds, which suggests that what they're doing is they're moving their threshold of where they do their advertising to shows that are just over uh, viewed more heavily by those just over the age of twelve. But it's sort of what was known as sort of the American Idol syndrome. So they put the at, they still know that a lot of kids are watching it. It's just it's not a predominant child show. So they can still get at child viewership in other ways. Now, the people in industry who understandably are upset by discussions of curtailing their ability to market their products will say frequently that the marketing doesn't increase uh, demand for consumption of a class of products like sugared beverages or fast food, let's say, but it just simply turns around brand preferences. So it might encourage one person to want McDonald's over Burger King or vice versa, or Coke over Pepsi or vice versa. Um, do you have any data that ad addresses that issue? Do you know other people that do? I mean, what, what's the current thinking about yeah, that? Yeah, I, I don't. I think there, I, I don't have any data that is able uh, uh, to show that myself, but I believe um, there's a group um, uh, at the Federal Trade Commission who's been, that have been looking at, at, at this. And, um, you know, again, I mean, uh, obviously there is an issue within, within, within um, a, a different um, categories, let's say, such as, uh, such as fast food. But nonetheless, you've, you've got to think that if fast food advertisers are um, advertising extensively to two- to five-year-olds, 
they're going to be shifting just their desire to actually enter into that whole class class of goods, let's call it, at an earlier age. So um, yes, at some point people are going to go out there and they're going to be free to sort of free to choose. But I think when you, when you see uh, two to five year olds being heavily targeted, which is what 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 we have seen in our data, uh, particularly among some of the brands. Obviously, they're trying to build brand loyalty from a very early age. So that competition to build that brand loyalty, but it's pulling them into the market at a, uh, a very early age. So it's not just competition across; it's getting them in. You know, they're not waiting until they're. 15 as teenagers who then might go out and say buy a burger with their friends they're pulling them in at a very young age now uh, given the uh, fiercely good scientist you are i'm going to ask you a question that you'd love to have data on but nobody does as far as i know um, but i just like to off the top of your head the impression on this if you look at the total impact of food marketing on obesity and either children or adults um is it a lot? Is it a little? Is it overwhelming influence? I mean, how would you categorize it? You think? <laughs> That's a tough question. I mean, I, you know, I think. Well, one of the things in the entire obesity debate, there's no, there's no sort of silver lining or silver bullet. Not one thing. I mean, you could think of the fact that. Um, First of all, the food consumption side is one part of it. Physical activity is another. Within food consumption, uh, you've, you've got the a- access to food stores. You've got food pricing. You've got advertising. So I wouldn't say it's you know it's a predominant. It's obviously not a predominant, but um, you know let, let's you know I would have I really can't tell you until we fin- finish these studies. But if you pick a number, even if you find something has a five percent effect. Then you're talking about perhaps there's 20 items out there, and if you tweak them all, you sort of you start to get at 100% of the problem. So even 5% of each of these potential pu- public policy items, um, while they might sound small, so even if it only has a couple, you know, it has a few percentage points, um, at a population level, it's still a very large effect. And I think that's you know, and that's probably how we got to this problem in the first place. That on numerous dimensions, we started to go, turn the corner in the wrong way. And so, but they all combine together. So you've got a couple of percentage points here and there, and then they add up to one large problem. It's a very useful perspective to have because uh, each of the, the industry players or the economic forces that stand to be hurt by any of these public policy recommendations will make the argument that we're only a small part of the picture, that our category of foods is only 5% or 7% of the overall calorie intake and things like that. And they use that as an argument for, well, you're picking on us and, you know, we're not going to solve the obesity problem just by pushing our sales around. But you make the point that it's a lot of these things that couple together and, you, and it's important to start at the most logical starting points and marketing would be one of them. That's right. And I think, you know, one of the issues is, again, coming back to one of the things you mentioned earlier is that, you know, we all, everyone has to eat. So perhaps it really, what it gets at is that, okay, well, you know what, maybe let's just rethink about, let's get back to reformulating the food item. And not to say don't compete for market share, why don't you just not compete with a healthier product? Right. Very interesting perspective. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. Our guest, Dr. Lisa Powell, Senior Research Scientist in the Institute for Health Research and Policy and Research Professor in the Department of Economics at the University of Illinois at Chicago. Please visit our website at www.yalerudcenter.org for a list of a variety of resources, including other excellent podcasts. Thank you.